ERB podcast, your friendly neighborhood podcast. Uh, what? Today we have Andrew and Ant, as always. <laughs> Andrew, are you, join, are you joining us from home or are you still out and about? <laughs> no, sorry, I can't let you get a, your friendly neighborhood podcast. <laughs> We're mixing it up. We're just keeping people on their toes, you know. Okay. Next, so, uh, if we just keep fighting through, so eventually, eventually one will stick. Yeah, not that one. I'm pretty <laughs> sure, but you know. Um, to answer the question, no, I'm in uh, in the Highfelt grasslands uh, in a metropolis called Vakastrum um, at our training centre out here. So we've just started a guide training course. So it's been tra- are you pretty full on the last two days. Uh, no, um, they're a lot harder to train than people, so we try to stick with people. Yeah. I believe it's Raven, a bit of a bring you money. paradise up there, right? Sorry, what was that? I believe it's a bit of a bird paradise out there in Pumalanga. Well, yeah, um, come springtime, at the moment it's just fuck off cold, uh, so... <laughs> Uh, we're waiting for things to change into their breeding plumage come spring, but we're only a couple of weeks away, so it'll be quite cool for these guys to see the whole landscape and all the all the birds change in the next few weeks as they undergo their training. Nice. Would you say you're more excited for spring or for the World Cup also starting in a couple of weeks? <laughs> Definitely the World Cup. <laughs> and Ant, how are you in rainy Cape Town? We've had a, a lot of miserable weather over the last few days. Yeah, no, it hasn't been great, but it looks like it's turning at least. Um, but it's it's one of the kind of prerequisites of living Cape Town is having a sport where you can play around and fish it well. So that's what I spent most of the day doing, um, which is pretty cool. So was out in the storm and having some fun. And how are you guys feeling this week after last week's episode? So just to fill everyone in, we haven't got any follow-up news on Owen Farrell's second hearing, but since the last episode, he... Uh, the World Rugby appealed, so they're doing another hearing to see if he will actually get a ban. So, Andrew, maybe start with you. Last week you were pretty upset, and rightfully so. So, what do you expect going into another um, another outcome? Uh, I hope it's another outcome. Um, <laughs> I think we're all hoping. I think my 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 anger and hysterics were were borne out by the fact that World Rugby has appealed this decision now. Uh, they couldn't not, to be fair, you know, even if they wanted to or didn't want to. If the option was basically taken away from them, they had to, given the backlash. And I, I expect we'll see a different outcome. I, I, I don't know how. I don't know how another uh, panel could could find the same as those three Australians. It was just inexplicable. Just, just to give World Rugby their dues, they didn't only appeal after public outcry. They apparently the processes were already in place as the judgment came out it just you know they took the 48 hours to fully build their case before they went public with their plan to appeal which you know you can criticize their pr but uh, just just to counter that it wasn't it wasn't due to the public outcry that they decided to appeal and 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 do you have any expectation i saw there was one newspaper article said that it would be difficult for them to they said overturn, but it seems like it's a completely new sort of hearing. So do you expect a change? I mean, I don't know nearly enough of the machinations of the legal world, let alone the rugby legal world, um, to know 
what um, the balance of probabilities versus onerousness testing is required to overturn a pre pre decision. So can't comment there. One would just, as Andrew said, like hopes that you can see the logic that it has to be um, a more stringent outcome, just given the, like everyone's understanding what the rules are. And you know, I mean, you've got. I, I can't see any difference between that and the Billy Bernapolo one. So, you know, if if the one stands and the other doesn't, it's just very confusing. You know, it, it's it's slightly different to the Moala where it's a completely different incident. Like this is the same incident, so surely it has to be judged similarly. Yeah, and with the, the with the spotlight on it now, and just like we said two weeks before the World Cup, it's uh, they really have to get this one right, otherwise the actual tournament itself sort of just goes, we go into it with so many question marks over the potential discipline issues. And as you raised, uh, Billy Vinipola has his own hearing this week, so he got a red card, so he also might be facing a ban, and we will await the outcome of that. Mm. Just while we're on the topic of this, what was your guys' and before we get deeply into the Springbok game, what was your view of the Damien Willems, uh, yellow, not red? Call. Do you reckon that not red was the right outcome? Andrew, do you want to go? Uh, yeah, I, I think not red was the right outcome. Uh, I think there were several mitigating factors there. Um, on Bunny Vernipola, it was clear. Uh, and I just wanted to ask the question, I'm sort of throwing the discussion a bit off course, but if, if guys get banned, uh, I know World Cup squads are only finalised on the 28th or something. If guys get banned for discipline, can they get dropped from the World Cup squads if they're going to miss games, or are they obliged to stay with the squad if they're banned for a red card and they can't play the rest of the tournament, say, for instance? Like, what what effect will uh, this have once those squads are locked in? I presume at this point you can still change them, but yeah, maybe afterwards you can't. I mean, that would yeah. kind of be the whole point of the punishment, surely, that, like, yeah. you, you know, you can't bring in a yeah. new player just because of the disciplinary issue. Yeah. Yeah, as far as I know, they can't be replaced. I mean, I don't think you can make the guy stay with the squad if he wants to leave. But, um, like, he can't be replaced, I'm pretty sure, yeah. But I I would imagine they would stay with the squad. Yeah, the reason I ask is, I mean, Billy Vanipola is the only specialist eight in the England squad, as it is. So you you would think, given that he he probably won't play a game or two at the start of the the World Cup if he gets at least a three-week ban... So will they now tinker with the squad that they've already announced to... And that, that to, uh, includes their first most crucial game against Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, yeah, we, so, may, I yeah, we, might, see, we might see some tinkering. Uh, like you guys are saying, the final date hasn't yet been reached. So even with the Springbok squad, it would be interesting to see if there, if there are any injuries this weekend. We'll obviously see some changes, but uh, yeah. the final deadline hasn't yet been reached. So... We have seen a lot of other squad announcements this week. Um, not going to go through them all, you know. All, um, I think the majority of the teams now have announced their squads. But any any real standouts for you guys that you might have seen? I think Falau not being in the four, Tongan squad. Four scrum offs, four scrum offs, four scrum offs. Ant is excited about the number <laughs> of scrum offs that we've seen announced. Um, yeah, anything else that really just seems out there? No, coming off that Australia announcement, everything else seems very tame. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So, I mean, two centres yeah. does feel odd, um, and that's you know, four scarves, but just for Italy, I don't know so enough about the yeah. Yeah, yeah for Italy. I don't know enough about their flexibility of players, to be honest. So, 
Uh, I did see that England guy, Dongu, who's been included in the Italy squad. I don't know if he knows that. I don't know if he's actually played a game for them, but he's in their he's, squad. Which I think is he might have scored this weekend, actually. Um, they okay, played, Romania. They, they played Romania, so... Yeah. Yeah, so just before we get to the Springbok game from the weekend, just running through some of the other results. Um, yeah, as I said, Romania got smashed by Italy by 50 points, um, so that's a good warm-up for Italy. Uh, Georgia beat USA 22-7, so a bit more convincing than the Romanian performance against USA as well. Uh, France had a, a pretty good win over Fiji, 34-17. Um, it wasn't their strongest team, and Fiji scored some nice tries, but ultimately France uh, were comfortable in the end. And Ireland beat I'd England 29-10. The, the France-Fiji game was quite a good reflection for Fiji. I mean, I think it was a good. good I think they're both going to be quietly happy with that outcome. Um, you know, so I think that's definitely throwing the pool C yeah. wide open. You know, Wales, given again, not before we get to the normal game, but you know, Wales, Georgia, and Fiji, and Australia. That's a really spicy pool. Um, you know, Fiji are looking solid, and Georgia, you know, you have beaten Wales already in the last year, so. Yeah, it could be quite a fun, fun pool outcome based on these couple of results this weekend. Yeah, all on obviously neutral territory in France. So I think uh, that group is definitely the closest, not just in terms of rankings, but in terms of possible outcomes. Um, Andrew, in that group, who would you most like to see qualify? Uh, we, we had a little bit of talk about, you know, who would we like to see qualify? I mean, it would be amazing to have like Fiji and Georgia go through, but that probably requires them both to beat Australia, right? So, uh, and, and Wales. So I, I doubt that will happen. Uh, I think Fiji have a very strong shot of going through as one of the top two teams, probably second after Australia, I'd still say. But I'd love to see one of, one of Georgia or, or Fiji or both uh, beat, probably both beat Wales and one of them to beat Australia. That'd be a fantastic result for that pool. Yeah, yeah and then, I completely agree. And then they <laughs> would, you know, get through to in the quarterfinal. They would be in the other relatively weak Group D, where England, um, I just mentioned, lost to Ireland and are looking not worse with every week, but just not showing any further sort Close of. Close to. You know, <laughs> maybe worse, yeah. But like really not showing any sort of enterprise and not filling their fans with any sort of confidence going into the World Cup. So, um, yeah, it's. If, Whoever makes it out of Group C then has a great opportunity to win a quarterfinal as well. So, and based on the current form, do you think England are gonna not make it out of the group, or do you think they'll squeeze through? I mean, I don't see them putting on much of a fight against Argentina, in all honesty. Um, and if it was 2019, then they definitely would be losing to Japan. Um, don't think Japan are tracking too well, but Samoa are um, beating a quite a stacked. Barbarians team this weekend. They're just having a really good Pacific Nations Cup. So, you know, like Samoa, I think are a bit of a dark horse in that pool. Um, I think they, you know, they could give give England a challenge. Um, I just don't know if they have enough to beat them. But that would also be quite cool because the Argentina and Samoa going through. Imagine having a semi final, a quarter final, Fiji versus Samoa. That would be unreal. That would be, and one guaranteed to go through <laughs> to the semis. Yeah, perhaps we're thinking too far ahead, but. Um, so Ireland and France both got solid wins. Uh, New Zealand weren't in action this weekend. Back to the good side of the draw. 
but South Africa, on the other hand, had a very, very comprehensive victory over Wales. So final score, 52-16. A um, whole lot of tries. Jesse Creel got a double. Uh, Kanan Moody got a double. If you had to pick out what you were most pleased with from this match, I'll let Andrew go first. Just the most pleasing aspect of the Springbok performance for you. Um, no injuries, <laughs> to be yeah, honest. That's, that, that's uh, a the big result one. Was, the result was fantastic, but I think at this point, just before the World Cup, with a really big game against the All Blacks this weekend and a big game against Scotland to open the World Cup, not having injuries was a, a real blessing out of that, and I'm hoping I can say the same on next week's pod. Yeah, I hope so too. And how about you? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say it's hard to pick out a single one. I think that's definitely the <laughs> the overriding happiness. I mean, but there were so many strong performances in this. I mean, you've got Tiakalisi coming back as if he'd never left. I mean, unbelievable performance. And you had Jesse Creel really proving that he's stepping into that 13 jersey well. Moody's just playing himself into that team, that starting team week after week after week. Um, and I think Jaden Hendricks, though, was a really... I thought he had a really strong performance. Great to see him back in the team. Um, Klein and Arthur Snayman were insane. Marks was, I mean, it's just, I think pretty much 1 to 15 had brilliant games. I think the only downside was, was the box kicking. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it, in terms of gameplay, though, everyone had, had very strong performances. Yeah, I, I think all of those are. Uh, really positives and and Khaleesi's performance just for those 40 minutes was really really good um, you know we spoke about last week about how we shouldn't expect too much perhaps and hopefully not too much pressure on him to you know just pick off pick up where he left off but that's what he did right he he was not just not just you know making up the numbers he was one of the best players on the field in that first half so that was really really exciting um and the and yeah, the box game other than the kicking I thought was really good, but unfortunately we can't get away from the fact that he again missed a number of uh, kicks in you know Test match rugby, which hasn't looked great. Um, do you think there's going to be any change to backing him like going forward into this weekend's match? We know he's starting, or do you think they'll potentially go with an alternative kicker? I mean, I'll quote you off. You know what? Ah, fuck it. Just let him keep shooting shots. <laughs> yeah, straight straight from the coach's mouth, I guess, is what makes most sense. How about, would, would you guys do any different? Are you worried enough that you would want to think of something different from here? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I've been vocal. Speaking coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the slot wasn't filled with Monest and going to the pool. Bulls, I mean, you could have... Um, that that would have been illogical. Sorry, sorry to the lines. Um, that would have been the logical person to bring in. That's... You know, Still waiting for Andrew. It's cool. I mean, I've been quite vocal about Dane Hendricks taking on the kicking reins, um, and maybe you know he's still playing for back into form, and also maybe if he's just not the first choice scrum off, then you know that's maybe not the, the basket you want to put your eggs in. But I think he played well enough on Saturday that he could have a shot still at being first choice. In which case, not the worst idea to to give him the kicking reins. I think, but yeah, I think we'll get out the pool either way. Um, and then by then, we will have a much better idea of, of what to do with, about a problem like Marnie. And we'll know if Pollard's in the mix by then as well. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Pollard's, Pollard's an interesting one, seeing that he's training again, just obviously doesn't have the match fitness. And there is still a game this weekend, so it's, it's, I, I still don't quite understand the Pollard situation. But, yeah, Andrew? 
yeah, just on Pollard while we're there, it feels like the coaches are sort of approaching this World Cup as if there's an inevitability of an injury and like or, or of two injuries because they're just like, no, it's fine. We'll just give Ammon Pollard some time and then they'll, they'll be with us soon enough kind of approach. It's a bit odd. Um, but I, on, on, on Lebok... I think he I think he does enough in the rest of his game for now that, that we don't need to worry too much. Um he has had a worrying trend in, in big games like I can think of that uh full game against Munster in the in the URC towards the back end of the season where he missed I think five kicks at goal and we lost twenty two twenty four and that changed the whole outlook of the log and uh influenced the whole competition but and he's done that a couple of times in a Bok jersey, but I, I think he's still our first choice. I still think it's a fixable problem. Um, a lot of his kicks, this is really making excuses for him, but a lot of them didn't miss by much. Like a lot of them were quite, <laughs> a lot of them were quite close and and were quite tough. So I'm I'm seeing improvements. I don't know if I've just got green and gold tinted glasses on, uh, or maybe it's storm is blue or something like that. Uh, but I, I'm seeing enough improvement to be encouraged, like that he's trending in the right direction. And I think, like I think, the approach of just give him more shots and don't don't talk him down in the media, like sit him down for extra kicking practice during the week, but don't don't shit on the man. He's a he's a confidence player. We all know that. Um, so he needs to have opportunities, uh, and he's had a lot, and it's crunch time. So it's it's not easy to sit comfortably anymore, but I still think he's the right option. Yeah, I think that's yeah. Um, and yeah, green and gold, and maybe the blue and white of the Stormers, like you say. But I I agree. Um, I think the, they've sort of made their mind up already going into it, and he's not the sort of player which we've seen with certain other players like. Andrew's other favorite, like Elton Yankees, who if his game sort of looks like it's falling apart at the beginning of the test match, we know it's going to go one way. It's like his, his like we said on the weekend, his the rest of his game is still fine. It's just, it was just the kicking. And even against Argentina, we saw that it doesn't affect necessarily affect his further kicks down the line. So that's at least a positive. Um, I was a little bit concerned with some of the uh, high ball issues at the start of the match it seemed to get better as the match started but at the beginning especially like it seemed like we weren't looking super comfortable under some of the Welsh high balls um despite Moody there Moody's obviously uh, slightly stronger in the air but um I think Billy struggled a little bit and it's a potential point of concern still going into bigger test matches absolutely I mean it was 100% being used as a tactic by the Welsh. And to be fair to him, Kieran Hardy did a fantastic job of executing the box kicks. So he put us under a lot of pressure early. It exposed us immediately. They used it four or five times in the first 10 minutes. to really good effect to get the ball back to win scrums. But then when they did scrums, they were, when they did win scrums, they were getting absolutely... Yeah like monstered off the ball. So it wasn't all that helpful in that instance, but it is something that other teams will have noticed. Um, I'm sure the All Blacks will similarly test our uh, different back three. I think it's an entirely different back three, isn't it? So 
Yeah. Um, we'll see how, how they cope. Uh, but it absolutely will be used against us in the World Cup and needs to be a point of focus. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, the, the All Blacks did do that. That was, you know, they, what yeah. they assaulted us with in the, in the previous game um, by just kicking the shit out of the ball and us just really not being that good at dealing with it. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, Kieran Hardy's a weird one. Like you say, his kicks were really good, but he is, uh, he didn't get included in the Welsh squad. And although Ant's loving his scrum halves, Wales only included two scrum halves in their squads. So different different strategies from different teams. Um, but yeah, I think Jaden Hendricks' kicking was actually really good from the base of the mall. And um, I think that's a, a, a definite, um, strength that he has over someone like Grant Williams and Corbus Reyna. So should be interesting to see which combos they go with the starting and backup like in the bigger game, in the big Scotland Island games and whatever's to come in terms of the scrum ups. Um, and the wings are going to be super interesting. So right now, who do you think first choice scrum ups wings? I think those are the two positions which are most open. What are you going to go for? First choice Scotland game. If we were naming a team tomorrow, who would you pick? Nine, eleven, and fourteen. Nine, Hendrickson. Eleven. Oh. <laughs> it's probably tough. Colby and then Moody. So go with what what we saw this weekend. Yeah, I mean a lot can change from. I think, I think so. This week's game, right? Perhaps these guys against a more difficult opposition have uh, something to prove. So, um, yeah, Andrew, what do you think? You look like you're deep in uh, Yeah, I, I would go Fuff 9 um, to have the experience with Marnie at 10. Uh, and I would go uh, Kurt Lyons at 11, Colby 14. Yeah, it's it, it's a tough one. I mean, uh, Pimpy and Moody are definite options, uh, as are Hendricks. Uh, probably between Hendricks and Faf. I don't think the other two are pro- likely to start. But, I mean, the wings, I think it's open, especially given that the, the other two are starting this weekend. If they if they have a really good performance, they're really going to give the coaches a tough, tough selection yeah. for the game against Scotland. And, and I think just to add to that, in terms of the, the rest of the selections, I don't think if Jaden starts, I don't think it's automatic that Fuff's on the bench. And if Fuff starts, I don't think it's automatic that Jaden's on the bench. I think it, it really could be dictated by what the coaches want in the last 20 minutes. Um, I mean, ignoring the fact that there's a possibility we have another Grant Williams situation where the scrum off goes off injured after a minute. This has happened to us twice in, in the last... The international season uh, in, in Bombela with Faf and then uh, in Argentina with Grant Williams. Um, so, you know, Grant Williams is, uh, like we've said, an option that covers wing potentially. That could be something that gives him more of a benefit as a bench option. And he, he also injects a lot more energy in, in late game, whereas you know, Faf and Jaden are are vying for a fairly similar type of playing role at, at nine, I, I would argue, anyway. Yeah, I've really, really enjoyed Grant Williams off the bench. Um, but I think he he's obviously brings that excitement, but I definitely don't think he uh, lacks any um, 
of the tactical elements. You know, I don't think there's like a massive switch there, um, which is really exciting to see. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's if if he does lack in in sort of controlling the game or tactical, like that's just likely to grow. He's still super young, um, but as Bringing that injection of energy off the pace, I think he's probably the best option for that at the moment. So I think I'm pretty much in agreement there. Yeah, with yeah. a team like Scott, you may you may want to be fighting fire with fire in the last 20 minutes because you're hoping that your forwards have stamped them, you know, out physically. Or what is Russell's favourite phase? You're going to fuck them up physically. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I feel like that that will be the approach against Scotland because they do have a world class backline and a mediocre forward pack. So that's where we need to push the advantage. But then you need to you need to get dividends for that approach later on, and that might be where Grant Williams against tired legs could be magic. You might not want a Jaden Hendricks or a Fuff coming off the bench at that point. Yeah, no, I, I like the selection. And I think, as I mentioned last week, what I like about having a scrum off that can play wing is it means you don't need to do a full backline reshuffle, um, you know, if you bring on a Willemster and have to reorganize everybody. So I think that that little bit of extra flexibility really does work in his favor. Yeah. Hopefully we won't see that sort of scenario again where everyone moves out of position. But, oh, uh, gosh, no. That's... It, it's happened before, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think let's just move straight on to this weekend. We well, have the... Just while so. we're on speculative yeah. um, team lineups, I mean, I think the, the whole team is pretty much settled. I mean, I think I would say Dwayne is the, the number eight now. Um, I would pick him ahead of Visa. But yeah. you know, your obviously starts. What's your partnership? Who's your number five and who's on the bench? Do you go two locks, one, one Lucy? Um do you think Mostert did enough? Sorry, Mostert's playing this weekend. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, who's your preferred locking pair and backups? I, I, I think I, I do like um, the impact that Sneeman brings. Um, he did a pretty good job this weekend starting, and he does. He still has the sort of X factor that no one else has as a lock. He brings something that you don't get from anyone else. But I still like him coming off the bench. So I would... I'm very interested to see Mostert's uh, performance this weekend. And if he does an adequate job, then that would be my preferred starting um, combo to have Eben and Franco and then Sneeman off the bench. Andrew... He's a Lions apologist. I am. What can I say? You need to have one line in the starting line. We've got Marks, Mostert, and Faf. I didn't say earlier, I would start Faf too, so got to start them all. Is, wait, yeah. when was Marks alive? Marks oh, is sorry. Only, Marks He's is only, only been alive. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> the, the, the Lions had yeah. generated such a good player. So, so the only true Lions are the ones who haven't ever played for any other South African team. So that makes Kwaka, Marks, Mostert, and uh, Faf. Well, fast play for the Pumas, does that count? Yeah. No, they don't count. <laughs> uh, we, we've just alienated all our, all our viewers from the language. Yeah. 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 They're going to be after you up there, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I I, um, I would go Eben and Erges Neumann, to be honest. I think they 
up there with the best in their positions in the world. And uh, I don't think we can afford to not play Achesnerman. And he has to be in the 23. I think he's proven as a starter now. Uh, and I can't really believe I'm saying this, but I think Ori offers the most from the bench as a lock replacement. What? Uh, what? Yeah. Um, as what, a lock replacement. <laughs> Is this just because he's joined the Stormers from the land? No, he's left the Stormers now. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah, he's, he's deserted. Is he us. in your fantasy team? Uh, Is he paying? Is he the secret sponsor that you're trying to line up for us? Uh, <laughs> is that is that uh, the, 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 the paid tagline we need to say each week something positive about Ori yeah no, uh, his agent got in touch and um, you guys must stop being so mean um, no <laughs> I, I, need I, I, really, I, really <laughs> uh, I really do think he's he's played his way into at least a bench spot um, but I will understand if he's not if he's yeah. not selected like we do have we do have really good locks but that's that's who I would pick I would if I was coach. Definitely go um, start Snemmer and go Klein and not Mostert over Ari. Yeah. Um, I can see Klein, uh, but I don't think... I think Mostert has played himself out of the 23. I mean, he has he has this weekend to, to redeem himself, but I haven't seen enough from him in recent weeks and months uh, to have faith in him covering a... A five-seven split. I think Peter Steffi's well, I think that's there. Exactly it. If you've got Clayney covers four, then you've got Mostert with five-seven, and then you have Quacher who does six-eight. Yeah, and, I, I would. I would have. I would have Ori from start and and Visa. Yo, that's quite a yo. different. Yeah, I think like Mostert's one of the, he's a tough one because even when he's playing really well, it's still relatively hard to notice him so like his bad games are where you notice him doing bad things his good games are where he's just grafting and that's like what would alex say low low floor medium ceiling yeah (laughs) pretty much so he's he's like you've got klein who's got like a high floor skyrocket ceiling (laughs) yeah i mean i i like snemon off the bench also because i think he covers four five pretty well like he's shown you can do either of those roles. Um, I'm not sure about Ori. I just, I've seen him give away too many dumb penalties that I would want to trust him to come off the bench when in a close game, to be honest. I, I'd, I don't I'd rather think I can start Ori and put Snail on the bench than have Ori on the bench. Yeah, like, I think you re- either go Ori, Snailman, or like Snailman, Mostert. I don't think you go like Mostert, Ori. Yeah. No. Yeah. That would be my comment there. And, Look, it's uh, done well. It took us half an hour before we got into a controversial argument. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> reflecting still on the game from the weekend, I think Peter Steph Toy just carried on, you know, like Ooh, his yeah. sort of forward improvement, taking momentum into the World Cup is really, really good to see. So... He's someone who, if he just carries on doing what he's doing, it's going to be massive for the Springboks. Um, and he can play 80 minutes if we need him to, right? Yeah. And he can run 80 meters if we need him to as well. Yeah. And he'll pass to the faster guy next to him because he's not he's And then enough. pretty much keep up with him. <laughs> yeah. Which was the most he, impressive thing. He gave the pass decisions. early well, and then he um, yeah, just kind of stuck in there. No, he's, he's had a brilliant game as well. 
think that's worth mentioning. What did we think about yeah. Delendi's performance before we get off this game? Um, he was, I'll, I'll, what did you think? I was going to say, I thought he was fairly quiet, but he did do a career best kick. I've seen him put that grubber through before many times, and it's always ended up genuinely horribly. Um, so the fact that it didn't even end up horribly, it actually resulted in a try, it was just I mean, it was a massive improvement. But, well, wasn't it wasn't it the try where the Wales guy didn't alley oop to Jesse Krill? Yes, um, yeah. but the yeah. fact <laughs> that it didn't go directly into touch is like really just an improvement. The fact that but it just I, stayed in the field. I, I didn't wasn't, love the option of the kick when it happened, but obviously the result was great. Yeah, but I was just saying the point is he at least it stayed in field. Like every other time he's done a kick when he's got three man overlap, it's gone straight into touch. So at least there's been smaller improvements there. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think he had an average performance, which was sort of hidden by how good the rest of the team was. I think I, I don't know that he had a he didn't have an eight out of ten. You know, he I'm watching the highlights of this right now. He definitely had a, he had a three on one, and he decided to kick it. And the three was Billy <laughs> Creel and Colby against the the Welsh like reserve centre. I mean, you pass it to Billy there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. Me- meanwhile, on the other hand, Creel outside him seems to have done enough for the selectors to just be like, okay, we're happy. Let's see how Moody does. The, the thing with Creel, though, like for me, is that he's always been uh, like a really, really good like individual player. Like his individual strengths, he's strong, he's fast, he... He's good at like scoring tries and good in those sort of moments, but like as a 13, which is a really important position, um, like decision making and sometimes his defensive game, like those are some of the things that he's sometimes lacking. I don't think any of that was noticeable this weekend. So he had a very strong overall performance, obviously together with his two tries. Um, but I think the way that the Springboks play too, they don't necessarily require too much more from their centers than that. Like, it's not like he's required to be part of like any intricate um, passing moves on the back line or anything. So I think he did as well as we would hope for, but he's still not my favorite player. I guess that's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, he's not my favorite player either, but I think he's he's given us confidence that we're okay at 13. Um it's going to be an interesting experiment, but yeah, we'll get on to the selections for next week. But he, he was good. Uh, two tries, neither of them were that much up to his own sort of productiveness. But outside of that, he was also good. He was effective. He ran hard. He tackled hard. Saw him doing good things, which is always yeah good. Another one is Oxen Che who came back from from injury. It's good to see him back winning scrums. I mean that. That replacement front row came on after the starting front row had just obliterated the Welsh, and they just carried on, like yeah. nothing changed. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I think, the, I think the, we argument, could... the argument that we've got two of the world's best front rows is still very much valid. Yeah, uh, when when they're both put in performances like that, that's like all you can ask for. Like you say, just the the backups carrying on where they the front. Uh, the start is carried on and winning penalties and not every team is going to be as easy as Wales in that aspect but um, yeah hopefully Scotland 
aren't going to be too much different, um, but it will be a real test this weekend against New Zealand. Yeah, well, they're up against two two Bulls discards, hey, at, uh, <laughs> in Scotland. Yeah. So, hopefully... Oh, cheetah. Cheetahs, I guess. Are they cheetahs? Well, Skuman, Bulls, uh, VRPNL, cheetahs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought VRP had played for the Bulls as well, but might have been a different VRP. <laughs> yeah. There's a few of them that have come through the system. So yeah. That was really cool. And anyone else from this weekend's performance? Uh, I think, Ant, you mentioned Visa. Uh, maybe not doing enough to like be considered for a starting spot. Uh, anyone else from this weekend that you want to mention? Mm, no, I mean, I think you know, we kind of covered the whole team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just maybe on that... Um, on that Willems tackle, I mean, and do you agree with me that there was enough mitigation to not be looking at a red card there? I think we all agree yellow at least. Yeah, I mean, uh, so there was head-on-head contact, so it has to be a yellow. I would say, I mean, I think, I think it's it's obviously that my only issue with that is he was obviously standing upright. So there was no shoulder to the head. There's no force applied by Willems. Um, it was more an element of just like. Like if anyone's going to call something a rugby collision, that was a rugby collision rather than, you know, a deliberate bad tackle. But it was still, you know, fundamentally bad upright technique, um, which, I, you know, I think like which led to the head contact. So I think it, it is a grayish one. I could see it going either way, um, but I do see the fundamental differences between that and the Farrell one. Yeah, I think the problem is I have seen ones like that being given red cards, so it's it's not a good tackle, like Anne says. So you're asking someone to make a decision which could potentially be a red card for your team. Um, and I think the major difference is that it's more, it's like, I think they use like it's slightly more passive than the Feral one, so it's almost like while he is upright, the sort of contact goes into him a bit more than with Feral, like sort of going in with his shoulder. So uh, it's, worth, it's somewhere between a yellow and a red. And the problem is you're, you are leaving yourself open to some refs potentially giving a red for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I feel like that was refed well in terms of the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. For me, like he was being handled by another South African defender, which made his movements uncertain. Sure. Um, there was a a late change of direction and as you say he he was not leaning into the tackle and applying forward force he was caught flat-footed and like in two minds about what to do and found himself in a compromised position which ended up in head-to-head contact so from an intention point of view uh it it wasn't a red uh from a technicality point of view and execution point of view Yes, he messed up. He made a mistake. He deserves a yellow. I feel like, uh, yeah, for me, that was to the letter and the spirit of the law. Yeah, I think, I I mean, it is tough because it's definitely like, you know, um, arguable both ways. But I I agree with you. I I think yellow is the right call, like, given everything. As I said, the warriors that it could just be given a red. But yeah, I think we're all in agreement, more or less. Um, yeah. yeah, so yeah. moving 
moving to this weekend's game, I think the the biggest talking points from the starting lineup are that it looks like a first-choice pack, pretty much. So we've got Kitschoff, Marks, Maherber again starting in the front row with Itzabeth and potentially the question mark at five. This weekend it's Mostert starting, but then we have Khaleesi and Peter Steff with Dwayne at eight. And then the back line is a bit more sort of... Uh, or less clear, I would say, with Faf and Money at 9 and 10. Mapimpi and Kurtley Lawrence are at 14. And then, interestingly, the centers, Andre Esterhazen with Kane and Moody, which Ant would like us to say that he called this a few weeks ago. Um, we'll let him have his moment in a moment. Uh, with Willemser at 15. So, Ant, take it away. Yeah, I mean, just the, yeah, I called it that he was going to be the 13 backup. I think... You know, people are all quite excited about this, and I think it makes sense, um, given he's, A, the only one with that experience, but also just the way that he defends. And I think that's what's been most impressive for me um, this last uh, little while, or, or kind of since he's been, been getting consistent game time, um, is just his defensive reads have been brilliant. He's choosing when to rush out of the line really, really well. Um, so, yeah, I think he's... he's um, Quite a good shot to go there. I'm surprised it's coming against the All Blacks. I don't know if that's the game I would pick him in to try it for the first time. Um, you know, when you've got like Romania and Tonga as games as you could have done it in. But maybe that's the whole point is they just want to test him as hard as you can with like a big ball carrying 12, a super fast 13. Um, obviously, we don't know what the, the All Blacks lineup will be, but it's, from all reports, it sounds like they're going to go pretty close to full strength as well. So, no, maybe just you know throw the kid in the fire, see how he goes. Like at the end of the day, it's not going to hit his confidence because he's out of position, and it's very easy for him to be like, "Cool, well that didn't work, fine." Um, you know, rather than him going to be suddenly being all down and out about it. But it's it's definitely an exciting option, I think. And maybe maybe playing having a wing play thirteen against another wing playing thirteen is maybe not the worst the worst thing to try. Uh, Andrew, are you excited with the rest of the backline? I mean, it's like we said, it's a little bit more experimental or less clear that it's a first-choice backline, but they are then supplemented by what looks like a pretty strong pack. Yeah, the backline is is experimental to some extent. Uh, Kirtley Irons uh, has played 11 for the box, I think, exclusively, but has played 14 for the Bulls mostly, so... It's not an unfamiliar position for him. It's good to see Willems getting some time at 15. I think we all agree he's not our first 15. Uh, well, our first 15, 15. Um, in this, <laughs> I've got myself caught in there. I thought, no, I am saying the right thing. Uh, he, so he is getting just rotated. I think it's more an element of that. I think Andre Esterhazen has a really big opportunity here to make a big statement, but I still think the coaches will favor Damien Dallander. It just seems that way. Unfortunately, I think it would be great to to give Andrea a better chance. So, yeah, the back line's pretty exciting. Mapimpi um, needs, needs a big game. Otherwise, he's only going to play smaller games in this World Cup. Yeah, I think the Mapimpi... Yeah choice is uh interesting i'm like if i think if he has a really strong game especially under the high ball because as and said earlier like last time we played new zealand it's one area where they managed to 
gain a little bit of ascendancy against us in the air. So Mapimpi mm. is when he's on his when he's playing well, especially chasing kicks. I think he's one of the best in the world. Um, if he can have a super strong game in that department, I think he could be right back in the mix of things. So I'm very keen to see how that goes. And um, I would really love to see this forward pack just sort of show some superiority against um, an all-black pack, which we have been saying hasn't looked so strong over the last you know, um, couple of seasons. But by all accounts, they've been improving every week. So they come into the World Cup with quite a lot of momentum. Oh, it's going to be very interesting to see who New Zealand put up against us, how seriously they take this game and what combinations they go for. I think Frizzell is out for an injury, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm correct. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do in the, in the back row because he's been a mainstay for them and had a monster of a game against the Springboks last time they played. So they'll feel like they're missing him despite, you know, my my constant refrain that I don't think he's a very good rugby player. Uh, and, yeah, like you say, their forward pack's been getting better and better, especially that tight five. So, yeah, Brody's out as well. So who do they go for in the locks? Uh, Scott Barrett can't play five and seven. So they're going to have to bring someone in. Yeah, and this is the yeah. last game for both teams before, obviously, the first game of the World Cup. Both teams have a really big game. New Zealand up against France in the opening match and then South Africa-Scotland. So, And if you were the New Zealand coach, you, would you start a full-strength team here? Would you be worried about injuries? What would your plan be? Yeah, look, I think you've got to make sure your oaks are sharp before France. I would go like 90% strength. I mean, they've got like guys like the Havili in the squad who they might want to give a run. Um, you know, they know what they have in Barrett. But I wouldn't, I definitely don't think they'd be going full changes. You know, they might be, similar to the Springboks, they might be doing two or three little guys that they're querying. You know, maybe give Cable Clark a run, Bach a run, maybe Havili, um, maybe Tupavai gets a run at six or something like that. But I don't think, I definitely don't think they're going to be going two all over the shop. Yeah. Mm. It's an interesting it was, one. I mean, was, how much how much weight do you think they're playing on this game? I mean, do you think that either coach is going to be upset? If I mean, I suppose the All Blacks have got they're lucky because they've got a win in the bank. The charge. What, you think, what do you like, mean? This, well, they beat us already this year, you know, so like they might not okay. be that bothered um, if they lose. Whereas they they beat us in the one that mattered. This is now the fun one. Mm. In the commas, you know. Yeah, I think that the major, the major prize here is psychological more than anything else. Uh, you know, you're not going to prove too much in a victory or a loss. You know, the coaches will take out of it what they can take out of it and, and get ready for the first game of the World Cup. So it's it's not a huge stakes game. Um, it can lay down a marker that might be useful later on in the tournament, but that's about it. And, and there was a, a tweet going around, um, or maybe a few opinions, that these preludes to the World Cup are landing up with so many injuries and disciplinary issues, like in the, in the NFL, and this is not necessarily a, an out, outlook I agree with, they, they never play their stars in preseason. They, they play one or two drives 
per, per preseason game and then come come first game of the season that's when the stars will line up and, and play uh do you guys agree like should teams be putting out first team lineups or should they be cotton willing players at this stage I'm very much of the opinion that you sort of have to build momentum and cohesion and you have to get off the ground before you, uh, I don't know what my analogies are going all off, but yeah, you have to, (laughs) you know, um, you can't play your first game at the highest level if your first game is the competitive one. You have to have a bit of a, whether it would be a pre-season, you know, before a season, uh, or if it's a World Cup, you have some friendlies. I don't think you can just get by from not have like you're going to be missing some of that match sharpness and some of that intensity, and just like um, yeah, that cohesion and combinations with your players. So I think injuries always going to happen. Yeah, it sucks that someone like Intermark is not going to play in the World Cup, and there are many others now too, but. That's unfortunately a part of how you know rugby works. It's a physical game. We get injuries, so you can't be scared of injuries to prevent you from having your best chance at winning a World Cup, which is by making sure they're prepared before the tournament starts itself. And I would argue in NFL, it's probably a lot easier to replicate match conditions during practice because you don't have that same element of fatigue. And you don't have nearly as much dynamism. You know, like essentially you can run a full defensive setup because you have a full defensive team against your attacking players. It's a one set, one play. You know, you can do kind of 95% intensity in training um, in NFL. I don't think you can kind of do the same in rugby just because of the dynamicism element of it and the fatigue element. Like it's not just doing set plays. Yeah. Um, I might have said on board it probably means you do need to like actually have some some test games i think that i mean the yeah got a follow-on point but we'll let you finish your thought there yeah uh, that's my that's my take on it as well as nfl is such a different game you you only need to be conditioned for bursts of 10 to 15 seconds whereas rugby you need to go for 80 minutes constant but, it's, it's a completely it's more important game. your roles are defined within that 15 seconds you know yeah like yeah. So, and therefore you can replicate it on training just like you know you can run a, a set move from a scrum in training fine but that's not what happens in the game it's what's happening three four five seven phases later that you need to kind of practice for whereas in, in nfl it's only ever first phase um so it's a lot easier to maybe replicate that same kind of match day environment mm. Like, because the defense sets your goal to heal your comeback, I think. Um, what I was going to say is what I did see uh, on the warm-up games, an interesting thing um, that some people were floating, is maybe we should remove, like, test match status for it. You know, just like in the um, uh, the warm-ups for, like, Super Rugby or whatever, you know, teams have, like, 40-man squads, and they play three chuckers, and they yeah. just, you know, mix and match teams or players a lot more. And so kind of no one really cares about the score. Yes, I mean, you still get injuries, um, I mean, I don't know the relative rates of injury, um, and um, you know, and presumably players trying to play for the places are going as hard. Um, but you know, so do you think that would make any kind of difference if you remove the test status and you made them like actual warm-up warm-up games? You know, then there's no like rankings implications, yeah. which is also a bit stupid. Teams are changing their rankings like a week before the World Cup. Yeah, and and that would make it feel more like a preseason. Um, and I think that would 
help in terms of just making it preparation based, but unfortunately, like money and everything else comes into it where it's, you know, they're trying to sell out these games, basically. You know, All Blacks are playing Springboks at Twickenham in front of 80,000 fans. It's going to be an amazing, I'm sure, atmosphere and all of that. So I think ideally, unless you're going for the match replication of everything, including the crowd, yeah, you would prefer just a preparation. But I think you have to get the balance right between the commercial interests and your own warm-ups as well. And just speaking of that, I mean, the literal example, I don't know if you saw what's, what happened in the French Wallabies game, um, but that game was in doubt. And I think, still don't know if it's been 100% confirmed, but I mean, apparently the previous gen- version of the French Rugby Union like agreed to this game with a certain fee. Um, and then obviously their whole board got put in jail for corruption. Uh, <laughs> so they got a new board. And the new board's being like, well, we didn't agree to this amount of money or we didn't hear about it or it's not in the memo we got. And so the Wallabies are like, well, if you don't pay us, we're not going to play. Um, and the French are being like, well, we don't want to pay you. So it's literally going a bit, all, a bit askew there. But, you know, as you say, money being part of the whole warm-up. Yeah. It feels weird that yeah, money has such a big say while you're just doing these preparation things. But it's a, it's a reality. So I think in that case, you know, there'll always be a they'll, – they'll reach an agreement somewhere and – you know, it will be some sort of compromise, but uh, yeah, it's generally just balance between your preparation and what you're willing to risk, I guess, as well in terms of injuries. So, if you're if you're super worried about a um, a certain player, if he's injury prone, then and you don't play him, then obviously you risk him not being match ready, and that's the balance you got to have. Mm. I mean, I I would support this sort of suggestion as it especially as it comes to substitutes and the rules regarding those, if those can't be bent without sacrificing test match status, then like maybe there's a consideration there. But being able to have, for example, 12, 12 subs instead of eight and having the, the comfort that if your player goes off injured and you don't have another replacement, you don't have to go a player down, you could bring that same player back on you know, regardless of the position, for instance, like that, that would make a lot of sense because then you could have a game against the All Blacks now where we played the first half with Andre and Cannon Moody and then the second half with Creel and Dallander against the same opposition or similar opposition, same game. Like they could actually have a look at these kind of things, try new things, yeah, uh, mix it up. But I, I don't ever see that happening without sacrificing test status. Yeah. And um, speaking of money, there's been uh, a whole lot of social media posts from the Wallaroos um, in regards to issues that they've been experiencing, uh, especially with the spotlight on the FIFA Women's World Cup at the moment and the success of the Matildas. Ant, do you want to tell us briefly what's been happening? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fairly well known, I suppose, that the women's game doesn't get the same level of financial support as the men's game. Um, there's only a couple of fully professional teams, England, France, and I think New Zealand may have just gone professional. Uh, the Wallabies, the Waller, sorry, the Wallabies all on like halftime contracts and stuff. Anyway, they basically took a united stand on social media, kind of calling out a whole bunch of promises that were made to them by Rugby Australia um, you know, that have not really materialized. And I think a lot of it came to the forefront um, 
because of all the you know big spend, big showy um, send offs that the Wallabies got. I think kind of the key biggest thing there that they're complaining about is you know, for example, Rugby Australia paid for all the partners of the players to fly down to Sydney for a weekend and put them up in hotels, which you feel is pretty unnecessary spend when, you know, the Wallaries coach isn't even professional. He's still got to hold down a job at the same time. So um, from what I've heard, it's, it's, you know, breach of all their contracts and stuff like that. So it's pretty, um, pretty big for them to take that kind of stand. But I suppose, you know, if your entire team is doing it, then they can't really fire all of you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's, I suppose it just points more to the, to the kind of, backroom mess that we know Rugby Australia has been in for quite a while. Um, you know, they obviously are under financial pressure, but that being said, it does seem strange when they kind of buy everyone fancy Indiana Jones hats, uh, you know, rather than investing in, in some other things. Yeah, it seems like the their send-off seems like one of their bigger occasions. I mean, we had our sort of capping ceremony type of thing, but... Uh, not quite. We, we didn't have the matching hats to go to go out. You know, whatever our that was literally just in the super sport offices. To be fair, you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> we didn't rent a venue for that. Yeah, exactly. It it wasn't a a big spending type of thing. I'm sure. Um, yeah, I, I I think that the women's game, like you say, it doesn't quite get the right amount of attention. I don't know what the right amount of attention is, but in terms of financial financial aspect especially um yeah andrew any comments from you i mean I, i've been quite vocal in my support of the women's game on this podcast uh but it sounds like some of the gripes were were not that brilliant like complaining that the men had business class flights where they had to fly a short-haul flight in economy um someone made an argument on the group that i think the largest largest player in the aussie women's game is like 105 kilos and 1.83 meters tall or something um and that's not that much bigger than me and i'm I'm slightly uncomfortable in economy class but i'm not two meters and seven centimeters and 130 kilos i'm not all skeleton um so on a short haul flight you know two three hours I can sort of understand a cost-saving technique, especially when the women's game doesn't have the same levels of sponsorship and that kind of thing. Um, so I think you need to pick your fights sometimes. I think there's bigger issues in the women's game that they really need to make a noise about, and this might distract from some of those, uh, as much as I do support the bigger issues. So they just need to be realistic about things in, in some instances. I don't know if that is that I it's, a, it's that classic case of like, you know, you've got 10 justifiable complaints, then you add two unjustifiable ones just to make the list look longer, and it actually detracts from the whole list. You know, it might, might have been a case of that. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm not saying that the other concerns are not valid, but as you say, it like gives yeah. people an easy an easy target to like throw the baby out of the bathwater for the rest of exactly. the years. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully the, the RA can pull their shit together and figure out how best to spend their money. I mean, as I said, it's, it's a single item on a very long list of issues. Um, I mean, for example, they don't even know what their club players or their like excess super rugby players are doing for the rest of them. I mean, the force are playing the cheetahs in, in like a four match home and away series. The Brumbies are going to like Japan or something. 
Yes, like, the, Toy- the Toyota you know, Series is this weekend, by the way. The Cheetahs are hosting the Force okay. in Bloemfontein. It is televised on Supersport on Friday afternoon, so make sure you catch that one. Uh, uh, no, well, there we go. This is uh, the first I've heard. <laughs> you got to follow <laughs> the Cheetahs on social media. Well, this is the thing, is Australia doesn't have a Curry Cup or NBC like the rest of the team. So players play in Super Rugby for the cool the 12 weeks it happens, and then they literally just twiddle their thumbs yeah, for the rest half- of the year. Like the decent yeah. ones actually play in New Zealand for like uh, NPC teams or the maybe not even decent ones. The ones who have, I don't know, ties with New Zealand. So a lot of them play for some of the smaller NPC teams. But like you say, they but, don't have a proper competition. They used to and then they got rid of it. And then now they don't have, they have like cl- their clubs. They basically go back to proper club competition. Yeah. And, and it's weird because there's a whole bunch of parochialism in Australia that just wants that to be the next division down. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's a longer conversation than your time for now, but it does just seem very strange. What yeah. um, uh, did have a point that I've completely forgotten now. While Ant remembers anyway. his point, let, yeah, just while we're on the women's game, I just want to point out that in South Africa, our final in the Premier Division is this weekend. The Bulls Daisies play against the Western Province women. Um, it should be quite a one-sided competition. I watched the log game between the two, which was in Cape Town, and. The Bulls won by 40 points, so they've demolished everyone in their paths. Basically, they are fully professional now and no other team is. So as great as that is for you know South African women's rugby in general, it has created this mismatch in the Premier Division, meaning that the Bulls, having never won the tournament before, are now sort of walking their way to a victory. So I guess it's, you know... Uh, two steps forward, maybe one step back in terms of competitiveness in the Premier Division. But uh, yeah, the first competitive, uh, the first uh, professional team, hopefully, will be the first of many. I think that that's great though, because it kind of just a proves that the model works. Invest in your players, and they just get good, which makes sense. And so it kind of puts the ball in all the other unions' courts now. They either they're going to take. I think the Sharks lost a game 100 to 10 or something. But it says either you invest in your own women's programs or just you're going to get drilled. So that's, you know, just it, it's really good because it puts the pressure on other unions. And secondly, you know, yeah. it also just shows the kind of talent in class. You know, if you can take a team that's never won before, put some money into them, and within a year they're putting 40, 50 points on their closest rivals. Like imagine what that's going to do at Springbok women level rugby. Like we were fully amateur and we were pushing some of the teams at the last World Cup. Um, you know, we're definitely competitive. Yeah, that's Certainly, true. You know, that, that, that's like a 500% increase in a year. You know, like if you just take that Bulls team and you put them in the international stage, you'll, you know, you, you'll see immediate improvement. Give it two or three years uh, for the rest of the unions to professionalize. Like that's really exciting how quick that improvement was. Um, yeah, so, so that's, I, I mean, I think it is, as you say, slightly one step back, but I think the it shows the, the, the it's a really good step and it's going to lead to a lot more improvement down the line. Yeah, I guess we just need to see the rest of the unions like uh, come to the table and hopefully follow suit. And even if they don't take a big step going fully professional, at least make their put more investment into their teams. So hopefully we'll see that going forward. Um, yeah, we also, so this is the final week of warm up games before. The World Cup starts. So we have New Zealand, South Africa on the Friday night, but there's a couple of other interesting looking games. England are playing Fiji, Scotland hosts Georgia, 
and Ireland are playing Samoa before the final one is France and Australia on Sunday. Any of those that you're particularly looking forward to before we wrap up? I'm looking forward to England losing to Fiji. Mm. And it's, it's relatively realistic in terms of you know, potential outcome. Uh, how confident would you say you are in seeing Fiji win? I'd say it's got a 40% chance. <laughs> 45? I'm still going to pick them on Superbrew. Yeah, and that's all that matters. Um, yeah, so make sure you don't miss that game because that, that would be obviously a first time ever that Fiji would win and this is possibly one of their best chances to do so. So, um, we don't have the teams yet as we record this, but definitely keep your eyes open for that one. Um, before we finish, let's just have some predictions. Springboks All Blacks this weekend, Friday evening. We don't know the All Blacks starting 15 yet, but as Anne said, we think it's going to be a strong one. What do you guys think if you have to put your money on the line? Yeah, I'd go um, box. Bye. But not with any huge conviction. Ah, five. Yeah. It's so hard without knowing if the All Blacks are going to pick a near full-string side or full full-string side. Uh, yeah, but it's, I'm doing, it's a very I'm doing good I'm assuming side. they're going to pick a side similar to ours. Yeah. 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 Uh, we've probably gotten like 75% full-string the back yeah. line that we've got. So if that's the case, I think we could have a very close game. I think it's probably going to come down to discipline and goal kicking. And therefore, I'm going to go all blacks <laughs> by five. Oh, you went all blacks by five. I think the back line is uh, relatively interchangeable, to be honest. I, so if we're putting percentages on it, I think mine would be closer to 100. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with Ant and say Springboks by five. So I think uh, <laughs> Andrew can be on uh, his own island. I can't remember what they used to call it. On the, I, th- I, I told you so island. Yeah, so I, I know you won't well, want to be on that island because you don't want the All Blacks to win. But uh, no. You know? no, Andrew definitely chooses being a right over the Springboks winning. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do some head In a warm-up game, in a warm-up game. Yeah. yeah, post it on social media and see what you guys think. Yeah, keep an eye open for the head-to-heads. Post it on, on social media, as Andrew says. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks for joining us.